volatility, uncertainty, complexity. This is the work environment that is our reality. What will leaders need to know to be successful in the future? Who will they need to be to build team member commitment? How will they need to show up to create a motivating environment for their people? Welcome to the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast, a dialogue about how leaders will need to adapt to be successful in a rapidly changing world. And now, please join your host and executive producer, Sal Sylvester, to engage in the conversation about the future of leadership and how to transform people into confident leaders. Hello and welcome to season five of Sal Sylvester on the future of leadership. I am super excited to be with you and frankly, can't believe we're at season five already. Unbelievable. I am Sal Sylvester, your host and founder and CEO of 512 Solutions. We're an executive coaching and leadership development firm in Boulder, Colorado. I'm also the founder of Coach Metrics, a cloud-based tool we developed to help coaches measure behavioral change in coaching and leadership development. And it's really through this work that I tap into the mission, the place where I think I can make a bigger impact in our world around helping create more aligned, healthy, and human workplaces. So thanks for joining me today to talk about the future of leadership. As you might remember, if you saw our teaser episode, season five is all about how we can create a more deeply human workplace. This is a passion that has been important to me. I just released a book called The Deeply Human Workplace back in February because I think the more that we can tap into our humanity and bring that into the workplace, the more we can leverage our greatest gift as humans, which is around adaptability. And I can't think of a more important time for us to be adaptable as human beings. So this season, I'm interviewing some incredible people from different perspectives, from human needs to happiness, to conscious capitalism, to psychological safety, and more. And in today's format, we're flipping the script, meaning I will be your interviewee today. I'm bringing back a former guest and one of our top executive coaches here at 512 Solutions, the wonderful Jan Jenkins. Now, you may remember Jan back from season three. She did an incredible episode with us on the topic of resilience. So today, again, we're going to flip the script and Jan will be interviewing me about the six human needs that I outlined in my book, The Deeply Human Workplace. These are the six needs that I believe all people have in the workplace. And if we can tap into those needs, we can unleash the potential of people and make a positive difference in our work and our world. So let's go to the interview with Jan Jenkins and me now. Well, first of all, Sal, I'd like to thank you for inviting me to interview you. This is your fourth and latest book which you know, I wanted to be one of the first ones to dive into it because this is something that is deeply um, interesting to me and it's the work that I do, that we both do. Your latest book, A Deeply Human Workplace, has, has touched me and so many others. I've shared it with my clients, they've shared it within their organizations and it struck us to a deep chord. What's interesting to me, having read your other books, is that this one seems for you to have really connected on a personal level, more so. And I'm curious about your journey from creating the model, the six C's of human workplace needs, to deciding or choosing to write the book. 
Yeah. Well, first of all, Jan, this is super fun to flip the script today and be interviewed. So thank you for, for doing this. And, you know, for both of us, this work is so meaningful and I know it's, it's, it's both of our life's work and, and you and I, I think will always be doing this. Even the concept of retirement doesn't, doesn't always make sense to us because we have important work to do in this world. It's always a journey for me. The way it starts, Jan is I get an idea, something sparks an idea and my mind moves to frameworks because I think when people have frameworks, it helps them remember things and, and, and apply applications or apply concepts into the workplace. And so I started noticing some patterns of people's behavior across all of our work with our clients, across geography, across demographic, across gender, across any number of dimensions around what people need. And so I started playing around with this idea of, hmm, I wonder if there's a hierarchy. And of course, you know, we all have been somehow touched by Abraham Maslow's work and his concept of the hierarchy of needs, which he developed in 1943, and it helped us appreciate human growth and motivation. And so I think in some research and work that I started doing, I thought, hmm, I wonder if there's a hierarchy of needs that people have specifically at work. And so I built the model. And the model changed and I iterated on it over the course of several years. I actually built the model before COVID and started to use it with clients in some of our leading change workshops and got some good reactions. And then it really occurred to me that the model could be applied toward creating a healthy and aligned team dynamic and even organizational culture. And so I started to use it and get feedback from clients in the field and then as soon as I had some validation and made some refinements, then I said, okay, this is going to be a book. And my philosophy around writing books, as you've probably seen, all my books are pretty short, is I want to give people something quick that they can tangibly read in two or three hours and then start applying in the workplace. And, and that's that's really how the journey has started. And for me, this has been really a vision of... Uh, helping teams and organizations create a healthy, aligned, and more human workplace culture. And that vision has ultimately become my mission. And I think tapping into people's needs can really help us work through some of the complexity that we have in our world today. Has anyone that you know of exited from a global pandemic? Has anyone that you know of learned how to change their business model based on what the shifts in the metaverse will bring? Has anyone worked through technologies like blockchain and AI and other technologies that will fundamentally change our businesses? I don't know many people that have, if anyone. And I think the more that we can tap into the core strengths that we have as humans, and by the way, our greatest gift as human beings is our ability to adapt. If we can tap into that, I think we can create teams and cultures that are really set to succeed in the future. So wow. a little long-winded there, but that's kind of how we came to be testing that model out. And then, you know, what I think about why I think the model is important. Well, you know, clearly, Sal, it's time had come. Mm. And it's amazing to me how you captured, I didn't realize you had created the model, like even way before COVID started. That makes sense to me, though, because as we look at the workplace that we're in today, there aren't ready-made solutions. It is about unpredictability, uncertainty. And given that it's all around us, 
how can we help people ground themselves? And in particular, the focus of this is within the workplace. So it's timely. And, and that's what really struck me. Like, how did he know COVID was going to come yeah. around? I think what happened, Jan, too, is COVID turned into, I think, a very human experience for people. Our lives were turned upside down. You know, many of us found ourselves working from home and kids are in the dining room doing gym class, at least in my household. And other people were taking care of elderly people. And all of a sudden, the social distancing thing impacts every aspect of our lives. There were so many elements that were just raw human elements. And that's where I think the model became very real for me. I'm sure you experienced this as well. There are so many times I've been on a coaching call or working with a client, a CEO of a company, and his or her child comes in and brings them lunch in the middle of a conversation. I've met more kids, cats, dogs, partners, <laughs> and there's something very human about that. When we remove people, we extract people from the corporate office or the boardroom and see who they really are as people. And that's where the idea of humanity in the workplace the model that existed before, it just became so much more real for me and for, for other people as we went through COVID. You know, as you say that, Sal, it makes me think of a phone call that we had, actually a Zoom call that we had a couple months ago with one of your clients that we'll be working with doing some coaching for them. And we got on and he had a cowboy hat on. Right. And you said, hi, how's it going? And Chris said, well, um, you know, I just been, I just been watching Yellowstone. And I mean, he looked like he'd just come off the set. And I thought to myself after that call, when would that have ever occurred? Not in my life history of dealing with corporations. That's not how people opened up and came across. That vulnerability. Yeah. Yes, that's been the gift. I think that's been the gift. And that is what starts to happen. We start to see the true authentic people, selves come through when we can tap into what's important to them, to their humanity. We can enable people to become their authentic selves. And, and look, I think COVID, one of my clients recently said, or said when we were you know, sort of going through the thick of COVID, COVID has changed our perspectives. And as a result, our priorities have changed. So for this leader to show up with a cowboy hat, I love it. It made that conversation <laughs> a lot easier to have, safer, more vulnerable, as you said, that's the gift if we can tap into the humanity that is within all of us. Not only that, Sal, the power of really allowing yourself to be human in the workplace influences people. It makes a difference. Heck, after that call, I actually had to go and start watching Yellowstone to find out what it was all about. I know, <laughs> I know, exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, listen, I think that leads us right into the model. And the model itself has six layers to it. And the first four layers are, are what we call the core human workplace needs. Their connection with people, certainty as a result of safety, contributions are valued, and clarity of the what and how. And then the top two needs are the needs of fulfillment, challenge and growth, and then community impact. But I think what you're talking about really speaks, Jan, to that first layer, which is connection with people. And in that instant, we found a way to be connected. We found a way to relate to each other and have a meaningful interaction that then led to other good business outcomes. I think that's kind of the core of, of connection. Right. You know, you also mentioned in your book, Sal, and this is, as you said, the first level 
of the model that the connection with people becomes the foundation for agility and speed. Can you tell us a little bit more about this level and how that works? Connection with people, I think, is the fundamental human need that we all have. And it's ultimately about the need to feel you belong and to feel loved. And in the workplace, that means having a fulfilling relationship with your manager and with the people around you. And I know that there are people listening that might think that that sounds soft in the corporate workplace, but it's anything but soft because most issues that we face in the workplace are typically related to people issues. When people are not connected, they don't speak with each other or they don't share their thoughts openly. When people are connected, they talk, they work through the issues that are at hand, they're more likely to operate from a place of positive intent and speak up when speaking up matters most. So it's at the base of our model. And when we started doing research, like it wasn't originally at the base, we originally had safety first or certainly as a result of safety. When we started to do research, what we discovered through some of the research that we found was that in longitudinal studies, the quality of our social connections is the number one predictor of long-term physical and mental health and happiness. So that's how important this is to us in the workplace. And when we think about like all of the complexity in our work environment, you mentioned agility and speed, connection enables that. When I'm connected with you, we're much more likely to engage in that truthful, meaningful conversation and we'll do it faster. It's really interesting Gallup, as you know, does a ton of workplace research and they're known for their engagement surveys. They have a question on their engagement survey. Do you have a best friend at work? I think this speaks directly to this base level of of being connected. And I recently came across some research from McKinsey back in May of 2022. So just 30 days ago or less. And they were talking about in the research why people are leaving their jobs without another offer on hand. We just had in March the highest level of, we had 3.6% unemployment rate in the jobs report with the highest level of attrition in March of 2022, record on hand since since they've been tracking attrition. McKinsey's data in May of 2022, number one reason why people leave their job without another job on, on hand uncaring manager. Number eight reason out of 10, unreliable and unsupportive people at work. Number 10 reason out of 10, why people are leaving their job without another offer on hand, non-inclusive, unwelcoming, and disconnected community. To me, all of those reasons come back to connection. And you know, it's interesting, Sal, because the higher up, it seems, the, the level of the people, I mean, when we start talking about senior leaders and executives, and you ask them where their biggest challenges lie, the percentages go higher and higher to their people issues. They're not the technical issues. They're the people issues. And I don't know about you, but when I've worked with with people from the C-suite, they'll tell me 99% or, you know, it's somewhere between 95 and 100% has to do with people issues. This really addresses that. And these numbers of what's happening in our world with attrition People are no longer willing to just do a job for a paycheck. They want something more. It has to have more meaning and fulfillment. And certainly that's true of millennials. And we have more Gen Zs entering the workplace. And I don't think we're seeing that shift. It's only more so. 
So that's an interesting, again, this being incredibly timely. I think that leads also very well to the next level of this model, which is certainty as a result of safety. And you made a point in the book of mentioning not just physical safety. This is really also about psychological safety. Why is this so important at work? Yeah, it's a great question. If folks have done any research or have heard that term before, then you'll know that it's Amy Edmondson, Harvard organizational behavioral scientist, and she may be on this podcast later this season, knock on wood. So hopefully we'll have Amy. But she first introduced that concept of team psychological safety and defined it as a shared belief held by members of a team that the team is safe for interpersonal risk-taking. So when we think, when you and I are working with executive teams, Jan, what does that mean? Interpersonal risk-taking, it means offering help, asking for help. It means speaking up when others won't speak up. It means bringing up the undiscussables. It means apologizing. These are very vulnerable things, hard things for people to do in a team environment. And psychological safety is a belief that you can do those types of things asking questions, sharing concerns or mistakes without being humiliated or marginalized by others on the team. It enables us ultimately to have the conversation that matters most. And you you mentioned earlier, like in many ways, some of the problems that we're trying to solve or the challenges that we have, they haven't been solved before. And so when we work in this environment of unpredictability, the cause and effect isn't necessarily clear. We can't just look to past experiences and draw on those experiences. We have to first experiment, learn from what's happening, and then pivot based on those experiments. And we can't do that if we don't have a safe environment where people can have dialogue and debate and share ideas and challenge each other. Safety, that psychological safety becomes absolutely critical for us to be able to do that. You know, Sal, it makes me think of an organization that I worked with as an external consultant. Unfortunately, I literally saw grown men brought to their knees in tears from shaming. And I doubt there's anyone in the workplace who hasn't at one point or another felt shamed or humiliated or had their personal sense of self-worth attacked in some way. And, you know, we get coming into the workplace We get that, you know, perhaps from a home environment or, you know, any of the other things that we're involved in to have that in our work environment. The demeaning piece of that is just almost inconceivable when you think about it. It does lead really clearly, though, to your next one that contributions are valued. This really has to do with people's voices being heard. Tell us more about how this level came to be and at this juncture in the model. Yeah, well, it's a similar story to what you just shared, Jan. Thanks. And I was working with a client for 18 months. And this was a very dominant human being. And you know these types of leaders. They're very action-oriented, driven, biased to action. They're often pulled into an environment to turn the ship around, so to speak. And he was running a 1,200-person manufacturing facility. And I remember after working with him for about 18 months, similar to what you just said and experienced, there were tears in his eyes in a coaching session. And he said to me something like, I just wish my manager would acknowledge the work that I'm doing. And he had put his job number one for years in front of everything else 
of priority in front of his family, in front of his personal health. He was out of shape and gaining weight. He was not sleeping much. And all he wanted was a little bit of recognition from his manager, who at the time was a C-suite executive. And that's when this piece of the model came together for me, because I've often heard people say, I don't need recognition or people don't need to be recognized. That's what they get paid for in the workplace. There's something really important about this element here of people need to know that they matter. They want to know that they matter. And if they don't, that's where team goes wrong, stories happen. That's where leadership goes wrong, stories happen all the time. It almost always comes down to this. I didn't feel valued. I didn't feel like I mattered Mm -hmm. on the team that I was in. You know, Sal, since we have both experienced probably numerous, just heartbreaking examples of people feeling not worthy in the workplace because of circumstances. While we don't have time to talk about all the fears in each of these models, what is the one that's connected to this particular level contributions being valued? Yeah. As you mentioned, Jan, there's a fear or multiple fears attached to each of these needs. And we talk, I talk about those in the book, but I think this one to your point is really important to touch on because it comes down ultimately to the fear of, am I good enough? And you mentioned it earlier. You mentioned the idea of self-esteem. It comes down to the, the idea of, I'm not good enough. And unfortunately, it's, it's linked to an evolutionary function, whereas human beings, we tend to focus more on the negative because the consequence of overlooking the positive is not as severe as the consequence of overlooking the negative. Again, it's sort of an evolutionary function. And so it's not uncommon for people and for leaders to forget about or to focus on what's wrong or where the gap is, as opposed to what's going well. And that's super costly in the workplace. And so you mentioned earlier in this interview that this book seemed more personal. Well, this book is personal to me. And in in one of the stories that I tell in the book is about my father, who is an incredible man and, and taught me and my three other brothers to be amazing human beings, I think, solid human beings. But it was because of what he modeled in his life. And I remember sitting around the dinner table at night and he and my mother would talk about the old man. And that's that was the nickname or how they referred to his boss in the workplace. And so it was almost a nightly conversation hearing about hearing about the trials and tribulations of my father's experience with the old man. And when he was let go after 18 years of dedicating his life to that job and to the old man, there were really big impacts on our family. And so I think this element of the model, contributions matter. When you start changing the conversations around the proverbial boardroom table, the conversations around the kitchen table will change as well. You know, that those points are so well taken. It makes me think of virtually, I don't know what percent, but it's incredibly high of every person that I have coached in an executive or leadership engagement. At one point, we reach that level of I'm not enough. And in fact, one of the meditation um, practices that I use is called tapping. And it's just an app on my phone. And this, I'm actually involved in a challenge right now. I am enough. And before the challenge even started, there were more than 20,000 people who had already signed up worldwide. So imagine if we can tap into this 
critical need that people have for recognition and to be heard and to be told that they're doing a good job. Imagine the implications of the positiveness that could happen in the workplace because of that. Yeah, you're so right, Jan. I mean, for anyone who's listening today or to this to this recording, just hear this. Just hear these words. You are already enough. Hear the words and let it integrate into every cell of your body. Yeah. Thank you, Cell. That was just beautiful. I almost started tapping along. <laughs> <laughs> Tap away, tap away, my friend. Yeah, well, that's literally what's at the beginning of that meditation. I mean, it yeah. it, it really touches. Oh, that's so interesting. It's a power. It's powerful to just think that and, and know inside that I don't need that external validation. I am already enough. Very powerful. And to your point, Jan, it's almost every person that we coach that is addressing or dealing with that fear. And sometimes it's, you know, covered up in imposter syndrome or they call it some other name, but it comes down to a very core and and deep need of knowing that we matter or of knowing that we are already enough. And the empowerment that we get from that to become who we really are and bring our whole self to work can't even begin to be imagined. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, 100%. So we've looked at three of the four core human needs of the model. Tell us a little bit about the clarity of what and how and the importance that you see of that and how it plays out in the workplace. Yeah, so clarity of the what and how is the fourth of those base needs, the core needs that we call them. And it's really about two pieces. One, having clarity of the what, which is what most organizations are already pretty good at clarity of results, clarity of roles, clarity of goals, sort of the results-driven aspects of the work that we have to do. And those are important. The other side of the equation is clarity of the how, which is really more behavioral. How do we show up? What's expected in our culture? What's rewarded and criticized? What are the norms or operating agreements by which we live? And what we find is those are often less clear in organizations, and it's really difficult for people to know how to succeed, how to be successful. We we just talked about fears. The fear around this need is, how do I succeed? And sometimes it's, how do I succeed? Because there isn't clarity around the what. But as often as that, it's, how do I succeed? Because I don't necessarily have clarity on how to be in this organization. And we are often so focused on doing, but we often miss the being aspect. And I know you and I really push the leaders that we coach in our coaching sessions to not just move toward the doing, but also moving toward the being. And so clarity of the what and how is what enables people to understand how to succeed, both in what they need to be doing and how they need to be being. Interesting, because truly this model as as in your other books, although this one even more so, is really about improving, accelerating the improvement of the culture and driving engagement. And each of these levels really addresses those critical elements of being a successful business. As we look at the last two, you have called those needs fulfillment. Tell us a little bit about the last two levels of the six C's model. Yeah, we call them the needs of fulfillment because when we can really tap into these last two needs, we tend to 
see people who are more engaged, more committed to their work, more excited about their work. And it starts to speak to some of the things that you mentioned earlier around millennials and Gen Z and what they're demanding from work. And as people's perspectives have changed, their priorities have changed. And people want to find meaningful work and they want to ultimately grow and evolve as human beings. So the fifth level of our model is called challenge and growth. And this is really about finding work where you can evolve as a human being. And if we're not growing, if we're not evolving, we're stagnating. And as soon as people are stagnating, they get bored, they get disconnected, and they don't really find meaning in their work. And so the opportunity here with challenge and growth is how can we give people opportunities or how can we create an environment where people can constantly learn, where they can evolve, where they can grow, and where they find work as a place to become ultimately a better version of themselves. So that's the challenge and growth piece. And then that highest level on our model, we call it community impact. And it's really about the need to know that the work that you're doing is having a bigger impact beyond the work that you're doing. So it's having a bigger impact to people at work or to your local society or community, or maybe even to the world itself in some way. And, and there's a lot of organizations that really embrace the idea of doing well and doing good at the same time. So if you look at some of the most successful organizations like Salesforce, as an example, they donate 1% of their profits, people's time and products to the community. There are many, many other organizations, Patagonia, a very well-known organization that is extremely dedicated to the environment. And so even if your organization doesn't necessarily have a higher purpose, I would say that I would argue that you have a platform that you can use to make a bigger difference in people's lives. One story that will live with me for the rest of my life is I was coaching an executive at a hedge fund, and he was really itching to do something different with his life, something that was more meaningful, that went beyond profits and shareholder value. And I asked him what it was. And he said, well, when I retire, I want to be a professor. And we talked about why he wanted to be a professor. And his energy just lit up as he talked about making an impact on people's lives and, and really shaping how people think. And I said, well, why don't you just use your platform that you have right now to be a professor? And that changed everything for him. So even if our organization doesn't necessarily embrace the idea of making a bigger impact, we always have the choice to do that with the platform that we have today. And you know, Sal, when we're thinking more beyond ourselves and beyond our organizations to the bigger global impact of our behavior, our actions, and, and the results that we get in our organization, we start to change personally too. And mm, I know you and I vote true. with our feet in a number of different ways in terms of the companies we support, the clothes we buy, the food we eat, whatever that happens to be. What I love about the six C's model is that it really helps us refocus our mm -hmm. priorities yeah. on our shared humanity. So think about what a gift that is, a gift to focus on our shared humanity, the foibles, the flaws, as well as the strengths and the positive aspects. It makes me think of really one of my favorite quotes by Howard Thurman. 
an old philosopher. And what he said was, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do that. Because Mm -hmm. what the world needs is people who have come alive. I'm getting chills as I say that because as I read through the deeply human workplace, I thought, oh, wow, this gives, this provides an environment that offers people the chance to come completely alive. And at this point, I, as the author of this wonderful gift to all of us, I'd like to give you the last word. Uh, thank you, Jan. It's uh, boy, what an incredible way to end. I guess I would add to that story a year ago, my mom passed away and I'm dedicating the season of the podcast to her because she was a beautiful lady in so many ways. And, and she touched so many people's lives and, and, and in many ways that I never even knew about until we were at her funeral and people came up to us, me and my brothers and my father and talked about how they always had a warm meal at her place. They, they would magically show up on Friday night when they knew my mom was making pizza. Uh, and many people had a warm bed or in a few cases, my mom even raised a few kids that I didn't even know about when I was at college because they didn't have parents who were available to raise them. And she may not have gotten to do everything in her life, but she was surrounded by family and friends and she made a positive difference in so many people's lives. And to me, that is impact, right? That's living with a deep level of humanity. And to quote Steve Jobs, he said, your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. And I think the opportunity is in front of us all right now to make a more significant difference in our world, in our organizations, on our teams. And we can do that individually and collectively, one leader, one team, one workplace at a time. Thanks for spending time with me today, Jan. Thank you, Sal. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast. You can get session notes on our website at 512solutions.com. That's the numbers 512solutions.com. Please follow and like the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're tuning in. And if you want to learn more about how we can help transform your people into confident and action-oriented leaders, please check out our website at 512solutions.com. I look forward to continuing the conversation about the future of leadership. I'm out.